You're listening to The Higher Ed Marketer, a podcast geared towards marketing professionals in higher education. This show will tackle all sorts of questions related to student recruitment, donor relations, marketing trends, new technologies, and so much more. If you're looking for conversations centered around where the industry is going, this podcast is for you. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Higher Ed Marketer Podcast. My name is Troy Singer, and I am always here with my co-host, Bart Kaler. And usually, we interview higher ed marketers that we admire in the area. But today, we're going to have a conversation with our team members and kind of pull the curtain back on some of the tools and some of the things that are out there that are available in the marketing sphere. Yeah, Troy, it's, it's, a, it's a fun conversation, and it's fun sometimes to just kind of, like you said, pull the curtain back we always talk about all these ideas and these different ways of doing it. Sometimes I think actually getting a little bit pragmatic and just saying, Hey, this is exactly how we're doing some things. And we've been working on a project together now for probably about six or eight months that just launched this past week. It's a big search campaign for a a mid-sized university in the Midwest. We were so excited just seeing the initial results in this first week or two with the campaign, with a lot of the dashboards that we have access to utilizing the tools that we talk about today. We just thought, Hey, wouldn't it be cool just to kind of bring some of our listeners into a conversation about what what's going on, how we're doing it. And again, it's early in the process and we're not going to drop any names of, of, of schools that we're working with, but it's one of those situations where we felt so good about it. We thought, Hey, let's bring in the team and talk a little bit about what we're doing, the tools that we're doing, kind of the strategy behind it. And, uh, and, and just talk a little bit about that. It's, it's a good conversation. Yes. Both of our individuals today are from Think Patented. They're my team members. So Dan Cornelius, he's going to be bringing the strategies perspective. And then Sean Ferguson, he is on the technical side. Both of them will combine to give great overviews of tools that are available for us to execute for colleges and universities. And with that said, let's bring in Dan and Sean. Bart and I are very proud to introduce to the conversation Dan Cornelius and Sean Ferguson into the podcast. And just to let everyone know, we are going to let you in on conversations that we usually have because we are very familiar with one another as we work on projects, both Bart's team and then myself, Sean and Dan. So if I can ask Dan, if you can introduce yourself and what your role is, and then also followed by Sean. Yeah. Hi, Troy. No problem. My name is Dan Cornelius, and I am the Director of Integrated Marketing Solutions at Think Patented. My role is to assist the sales team in introducing their clients to the various products and services that we have that can help them improve upon the effectiveness of their outreach campaigns that they're currently doing. I also bring a little bit of a strategy to the table and some best practices that I've experienced over the years, uh, working with different schools and institutions and student recruitment and fundraising campaigns. Thank you, Dan. And we also have Sean Ferguson. Yes. Hello, Sean. Hello, Troy. I'm Sean Ferguson. I'm the Director of Digital Engagement at Think Patented. So I oversee the technical execution of you know, omni-channel marketing campaigns, web development, app development, web development. So can certainly get into the weeds of all the technical execution of everything we're talking about today. Thank you both. And again, just so everyone knows, we are very used to working with one another where Bart's team comes up with the strategy and the process and the marketing outreach 
map and our team executes it. So I would like to pose our first subject of automation and what that looks like for an omni-channel platform in a higher ed marketer world. So either Bart or Dan, if you can kind of give me your view of that. Yeah, I can jump in on that, Troy. And this is this is a great conversation to have kind of kind of pulling the curtain back so everybody can kind of hear some of the things that you said like with with our with our conversations go on. But one of the reasons why I think we have been drawn at Keeler Solutions to automation and what really helps with automation in in the marketing world, especially for higher ed, is uh, it's it's such a high touch sales process. And I know a lot of people in higher ed sometimes don't like the word sales. I was talking to a school recently that just didn't want to even have that in the lexicon of our conversation. But the reality is, is that we are selling individuals and families one of the biggest investments they'll ever make in their life, sometimes even more than the homes that they'll purchase, these investments in their education and what that's going to change and how that's going to do that. Because of that, it's such a high touch process. I mean, you know, if you look at a search campaign and you're, you're, buying names and, and then marketing to them, trying to get them to, to kind of engage, even down to the comm flow in a typical admissions office, there's a lot of touches with that. And uh, technology allows us the automation. I always like to think of, of it in the way that let computers do what they do best, which is re- repetitive tasks that they can just do at a pre-programmed time with a pre-programmed message. Let them do that. Let the computers automate, but let your admissions team then focus on the relationship building, the conversations, the, the, the high touch points. And so automation lets us kind of engage with a lot more people on a regular basis through all these different channels without having to le- leverage and utilize you know, man and woman power to do that. And so I think automation just is such a critical element that a lot of schools have embraced. Some schools are still on the fringes of it. And I think that sometimes when we start looking at customer relationship management tools, CRMs versus, you know, omni-channel platforms, different CRMs, and maybe Dan could talk a little bit more about that, but the idea that there are different ways we have these tools on, on campuses that that schools can leverage to be able to create that automation. But many times either they don't know how to do it or they're not doing it correctly. And it comes down a lot of times with what your tool is versus what, what you can do. So maybe Dan, you can tell us a little bit about the difference between those. Yeah, I I think you hit the nail on the head, Bart. The real key here is that automation is a wonderful tool, but how do you implement it and how do you ease into it? Most schools are going to have legacy systems in place, and so that's what they're most comfortable with, and they think that they're doing things in a very productive manner. And if they really do a deeper dive at times, they can start to see how these solutions can really help benefit their teams and make their teams more productive and effective in their their outbound reaches and, and communication channels to protective students and alumni. So as an entry level into these omni-channel uh, solutions that are out there, the first one you're going to have is one that would be more of a high-level anonymous approach. It's going to help you broadcast your message across all the different forms of media, but you really won't know who you're exactly communicating with. Um, you're going to have Google Display ads online. You're going to have social media follow-up ads that can be in place, and you're going to automate other touches of it where you're going to start to know who somebody is, and you can start to personalize and understand who that person is and then capture information for your future uses. So um, schools have to understand that there's different levels of automation and um, they need to be able to evaluate where they're at and where they need to be going forward because you really need to automate those parts so that your team can be more effective and basically speaking or reaching out to the low-hanging fruit while you continue to cultivate and nurture 
or the other potential people that you want to speak with. Uh, so when they raise their hand, you're ready to be able to reach back out and, and uh, have that more personalized conversation as you will. Yeah. The thing I like about some of those tools too, Dan, is that, you know, some of them leverage kind of a, a scoring mechanism that, you know, the more a student engages or the more they look at the the ads or they engage on the website to Sean's point, we can start to measure those things. And then instead of looking at 40,000 people that we just sent out a direct mail to, and, and we're not really sure how they're responding, some of these tools that you've been talking about, this omni-channel resources, we start to have more data that can start to filter up the people that we understand that are really the ones that are probably the warmest leads. And again, going into that sales vernacular, the, we really want to focus our, our team's effort. I mean, if we have an admissions team of eight to 10 people, they cannot just start making calls to 40,000 people. I mean, you know, a lot of schools try to just divide it up. Hey, everybody has 5,000 a piece and divide that up by a month and let's try to do 100 calls a day. That's old school sales training. We really want to kind of move into, let's figure out who the warmest leads are. And now all of a sudden the 40,000 get down to maybe 2,000. And then even the 2,000, we can start to look at and say, hey, wow, this person has really been engaged in all these different areas. Let's start putting our focus and our emphasis on that. Because at the end of the day, most schools only need to kind of bring in a, a class of three or 400, maybe 600, depending on the size of the school. And our efforts are better used in a smart way. I, you know, I used to have a, a mentor that always talked about, let's think smarter rather than thinking harder. It's like, let's, let's kind of be smart about what we're doing. And I think a lot of these, a lot of these tools allow us to do that. Would you agree with that, Dan? Yeah, I, I agree with you 100% about that. What the you know, terminology that we like to use is lead scoring, and you're absolutely correct. And you can uh, create what you call benchmarks based on the interaction that somebody can have with you inside your, your actual marketing tool itself. And then as those points add up, the minute they reach a, a goal, if you will, then that can be an automated lead that could be sent to a, a recruitment officer to reach out and make that phone call or to somebody inside the advancement office that would need to be able to reach out to talk to a high-end donor or something like that. So you're absolutely correct about being able to allow the system to do the nurturing and then identify, as I keep saying, the low-hanging fruit and allowing people to be able to respond accordingly. Sean, do you have any comments on how that that actually works? Uh, I, I think you nailed it, Dan. Maybe just to take a step back, I think it's important for people to maybe know, you know, when we're talking about these omni-channel automation systems, it's not necessarily either or, you know, you either have to work with that system or your CRM that you may be familiar with. Many of the omnichannel marketing tools and CRMs can integrate with each other so that, you know, you can have the best of both worlds. You can have your data that you are familiar with reside still within the university and then also leverage these automation tools for the lead scoring, like you mentioned, and, and all these other elements that I'm sure we'll talk about. Yeah, that's cool. Maybe Dan or Sean, you guys can kind of talk through when we talk about omni-channel, I think a lot of people are kind of like, okay, what's that? That's just another buzzword. And, and how does that work? And obviously omni means many and then channels is channels. What are some of the examples of the different ways that the tools that you guys are using that we're using together? I know we've got a couple projects that we're working on together with, with clients, a search campaign and, and some development work. Tell us a little bit about what these different channels are. I mean, a lot of people are probably familiar with email or, or direct mail. Just kind of walk us through because it's more than that. 
Well, I, I think that it's important to understand you can start out with, with a direct mail piece. How can you enhance that direct mail piece? So right out of the gate, you'd have tools such as mail tracking that allow you to identify exactly when a direct mail piece is going to land into a mailbox. And then you could uh, create any type of internal follow-up uh, processes and procedures that you wanted in case if you were in the middle of a fundraising campaign, you could have people call out to engage that potential donor, for instance, or at least the VIP donors, if you will. So again, we're talking about spending our time with the more important people in your database versus the whole mass, if you will. You could move that into enhancing with uh, informed delivery, which would give you the ability to basically send an email that comes from the U.S. Postal Service to the person that you're trying to reach out to. In that email is a scan of all the direct mail pieces in their mailbox. And along with that, we would create a ride-along ad that allows people to click on it, and that can drive them to an apply page or more information page or a donate now page, for that matter, or an events page. Then you can combine that by using the Google Display Network and social media. With social media, we can identify people that are in a database and we can put actual ads on their feeds. They would see your messaging there that would be a cohesive and coordinated effort along with your direct mail and email pieces. You also have the ability to have the Google Display Network and social media follow-up take place. So again, you're placing cookies on people that have visited. We know people are going to leave that go online over 90% of people will leave. We know that we can drive approximately 70% of those people back online. And statistics out there are saying you can convert sometimes up to 26% of those people into responding to your, your call to action. So by combining all these tools together, Troy, you, you, I think you know this number better than I do, but we're able to cut through the clutter because we need to now touch people 8, 10, 12, 20 times in order for our message to resonate and be able to start that dialogue. Thank you, Dan. And the thing to remember is that can happen with any direct mail campaign. It doesn't have to be um, intertwined with your CRM. That can happen with any outreach direct mail campaign that you send out. No, I was going to say, no, you're absolutely correct. And the only thing I wanted to say on top of that is all of those tools that I spoke about are really tools where you're touching people anonymously. You have identified a group of people in your database, but the communication touch points and the interaction is anonymous at that point still. So what we're trying to do is engage them online. And once we get them there, then we want to pull them into a more sophisticated platform that will allow us to identify who they are, maybe ask some specific questions about them, and then take that information that we get and personalize the messaging going back out to them. So now we can version a direct mail piece with imagery about a course of a study that they're interested in. Uh, We can reference anything that we learn about them from a personal standpoint. Same with the email. But then we can also start engaging in with them because we've captured maybe a, a cell phone number. They may opt in for SMS text messaging. Uh, we have the ability to be able to add in no ring messaging, for instance, that would leave a message to them without ringing their phone. It's non-intrusive. So if somebody donated X amount of dollars, they could get a no ring message thanking them. That could be a story from a student because of their donation. You're helping me succeed and move forward in my life dreams or my career at school here. Or it could be a story about how you're helping build a new nursing lab that needs to be going in. So lots of different ways to be able to use the technology. And there's lots of ways to bundle it together. Yes, developing true communication flows that are interactive and enable the enrollment department or the alumni department to know who is interacting with that campaign in real yeah. time. Yeah, I just wanted to point out for our listeners that, you know, there's, we're, kind of, we're kind of backing up a lot of information here. And so I wanted to kind of just, you know, kind of separate it out a little bit. Because one of the first things that, you know, we talked about this omni-channel marketing and especially 
on that first blast when the first emails go out and the first direct mail, a lot of what Dan talked about with the Google ad network, with, with informed delivery, with mail tracking, all of those things, it's really designed that we're warming somebody up, really trying to make sure that the brand awareness of that campaign is kind of everywhere. It's kind of omnipresent. And so we want to make sure that if they're on their Facebook feed that day, the day before, the day of, and maybe the day after that mail is going to drop in their household, we can know what day the mail is going to drop. We can start pushing those ads for three days. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, I have never seen that school. And you know what? I saw it on Facebook today. Oh, I just logged into Instagram. It happens to be there too. Look at that Google retargeting ad. It's about that school. Oh, you know what? Look what came in the mailbox today. It's about that school. Oh, wow. I just got a, a phone message or a text message from somebody at that school. All of a sudden, the brand awareness in that three or four days has just gone through the roof. And that's one of the things that omni-channel marketing is doing is that it's warming people up to your messaging. Because again, if you just simply send a direct mail piece and to Dan and Troy's point is that statistics show that, you know, 12, 15, 20 time of touches is before people start to remember a brand. And so what we're trying to do is get those brand touches as frequently and as concentrated as we can so that when we do deliver that message, whether it's the email, whether it's the direct mail piece that, and that we're going to continue nurturing that people are already aware of it. And they're kind of curious and they're looking into that because the brand awareness is so strong. Then I think that, you know, part of what Dan is saying is that now that we've got their attention and they start engaging, how can we harvest more information from them to make it more personal? And I think that's probably a good conversation to have is a little bit about personalization and why that is so critical. I mean, you know, that you see the statistics about generation Z, especially, they really want to be known. And, uh, and, and whether it's a, a quiz that we ask them or whether we engage with them in different ways, maybe there's some gated content that we drive them to. We want to know more about them than maybe what we know just from the purchase lists. And so, you know, maybe, uh, maybe Troy, you can tell us a little bit about this program that we're developing for another school with this quiz. I mean, the whole nature was to get to know people a little bit better, right? Yes. And I'll also lean on Sean a little bit because he's doing all the work behind the scenes. But as we were, as you were describing personalization, I think when we think of personalization, we think of first name, we think of just a couple of high level items. But as we are interacting with the prospective student or this prospective donor, what we're doing is getting additional information then we can reach back out to them or reach back out to their parents and demonstrate we know who you are. And Sean, um, you helped develop or you helped design a program that's executing BART's program of a, a quiz that we are doing for a school at this time. Can you give us a little look into how you did that? Sure. So, you know, the, the personalization is not even to just the individual. You know, the personalization is for the different sets of, of audiences as well. So if you want to target, you know, sophomores differently than juniors and seniors, and then within those groups, then you can personalize down to the actual individual. With the program that we are running now, we are asking slightly different sets of questions to these different um, groups of students because, you know, you know, with, with sophomores, you know, they may not really, they're not really thinking of financial aid at that point, but certainly for seniors, that that's a, you know, hot topic question. So we ask, you know, how prepared are you for financial aid? You know, do you feel comfortable with it or not? 
you know, sophomores, not so much. So, you know, also tailoring specifically what you're asking is going to garner you better results than just treating everyone with, with the same treatment, asking the same questions. So, yeah. So, you know, preemptively knowing your, your, your audience and, uh, what information you're wanting to garner will also help you get the information you were looking for. And please let us say that it's not uh, boring information. We are asking them things that they are eager to tell us. You know, what is the favorite food that they like to eat? What is their favorite uh, music that they listen to? All these different things that they are uh, giving us or uh, that they are willing to put into the quiz then again, we are reaching back out to them and demonstrating we hear you, we listen, the pictures are toward what their answers are. And then we're also sending uh, letters out to their parents demonstrating that did you demonstrating that we know who their uh, students are. And it's probably surprising to some of those parents of the answers that the students gave. But the beauty of this, it also enables us to kind of capture how often they're coming back to the landing page and how often they are interacting with the campaign, which is very useful to the institution because that goes into the lead scoring. That's something that the institution knows who they can reach out to most urgently. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love the, uh, you know, the, the work that we all collaborated on with this, with this current program that we're doing. And again, it just launched a week ago, so we're not ready to share the name with everybody yet, but um, uh, needless to say, we're seeing a lot of success with it, but my son is a junior and his name was purchased on the list. And so it was interesting because we received one of the direct mail pieces at home and uh, you know, it's got a pearl on there. So we scanned it and, and he started looking at the different questions that, that were on the quiz. And again, it's a very highly interactive quiz. So don't think about it like a form of, Hey, here's uh, radio buttons and check boxes just to kind of click through, uh, you know, the typical, what schools ask is, you know, what, what year are you graduating? You know, what are you interested in? We were actually, you know, as to Troy's point, asking more about, well, what's your favorite food to study with? And what's your favorite music to study by? And, you know, if you had, if you had your choice for a year off, what would you do with it? And so a lot of this is just kind of fun. And there was a lot of, you know, high graphics and, and photography and, and, you know, illustrations and icons and made it really fun and lighthearted. But the thing I love about it is that, you know, as a, as a parent, even as I was watching him do the, the quiz, I didn't realize that he liked to use, you know, listen to country music when he studies. And I didn't know that, you know, chips was his preference of, of, of food and that he would rather just kind of shut his phone off and hit the books rather than calling a friends for a study group. So that was information that was interesting to me that I could have more conversations with him about. And that's what we're doing when we include the parent conflow is sending the parents this information that, hey, we know that your son or daughter or whoever it is, we're going to mention their name. We thought it was really cool that they like listening to country music and eating chips while they study. And we found that pretty cool. Though that type of conversation, that type of uh, engagement that's really approachable, it really changes the way that the students and the parents feel about the school. We're not, we're kind of rising above everybody else and it's not just noise like everything else. So um, I know we've got a couple minutes left and Troy, if you don't mind, I'd like to kind of talk a little bit about lead matching. And I think that that's something that's maybe a, a little bit of a new technology that at least when I'm talking to schools and talking to uh, different folks in in enrollment and and development. I know it's been used like in some corporate worlds and and you know a lot of the retailers use this type of information. But I think it'd be good just to kind of give somebody a who's listening just a, an idea of the technology that we can leverage to build 
new audiences for our campaigns just based on this lead match. So Dan, I don't know if that's something you want to pick up and talk about. Sure. I'd be more than happy to. Um, the technology that's out there today allows us to be able to gather um, people's information when they visit a specific page or a website. Uh, we can capture their address, city, state, and zip. If they happen to be in your database, we can also capture their first name and last name. But we also have the ability when we do capture that information to go out and append that data and tie names to it. So a way a school that can use this is that there are certain programs and offerings that are out there that are either, you know, to your point, um, Bart, long-term sales which could be like a state planning, for instance, on the advancement side, or there could be undergraduate programs and things that are out there that schools are trying to find people that are interested in the programs, but you can't specifically go out and just buy a list of those type of people. So using this technology, you can start building a virtual database of people that you need to be responding to and start planning how you want to reach back out to them because they had a specific interest. So it's a very valuable tool in helping people start building a database of really hard to reach potential targets, if you will, uh, because we're able to capture them when we place this cookie, if you will, on a website or on a specific page inside a website to identify uh, the unique individuals that we want to speak to. And I just want to clarify, because a lot of people, you might have listened to that and just said, oh yeah, we can do that. I mean, they fill out the form, we get their name, their address, know what we're talking about. This is different. If somebody yeah, comes well, to your website, they don't do anything. They don't fill out any forms. They don't, they don't engage with it other than just looking at the website. This cookie will pick up the IP number that they're coming from. Typically every house, just like your street address is a unique address. You also have a unique digital address. It's called an IP number an IP address, we can take that IP address and scrub it against a national database that ties the IP address of your home to your home physical address and other demographics. That's what's so powerful about this. Instead of buying lists from SAT or ACT or other places that you might want to, and it's especially important for you folks that are in adult and graduate studies where you cannot buy the lists, if you could actually harvest the data from your website of people who've come to the website and maybe kicked around and looked at your different adult programs, your different online programs, this lead match allows us to actually pull down a database of people who've been on your website, curious, but never filled out a form. Then we can turn that back into a search campaign that says, you know, we know these people are interested in our product or our service. We can start a marketing a campaign with them. I mean, I talked talk to some people about that and they're like, wow, that's way too creepy. But it depends on how you use it. I mean, the last thing you want to do is send a letter to saying, hey, we, we saw that you were anonymously looking on our website and we figured out who you are and we wanted to let you know that we have these products. No, if we treat them more like a search to just say, hey, we've included you on a list, you know, we're just, we're anonymously letting you know at the beginning and then we start building some more information on what we know. But I think this lead match is such an important and powerful technology and tool that Again, I think for especially like adult and graduate programs, it could be so valuable to start building a list of people that you can market to because leads are very hard to come by. There's a lot of ways to do it. And I think that this coupled with some other ways of, you know, the Google ad network, social media advertising, this is a way to start to build up that list of, of potential people that can look at your programs. Simply capturing individuals that have expressed interest in your institution that you never knew about. Right, right. Correct. Yes. As we draw our podcast to a close, Dan or Sean, are there any final thoughts that you have uh, of anything that we talked about that we forgot to mention? 
I'll jump in for just a split second. I wanted to reiterate what Sean spoke about or brought up originally and Bart has alluded to, and that is personalization is one terminology where we identify somebody as an individual and speak to their individual interests. And versioning is a way to be able to take those people, put them into groups, and version some of the content at a little bit higher level. So, again, we can talk to people that are interested in a nursing program or we can talk to people that are interested in an engineering program, and then inside that version piece, we can personalize it with additional information that we capture on them. So we're drilling down in there uh, into that group to the personal level of the individual. So personalization versus versioning. I think it's important to understand that. Thank you, Dan. Sean? I, I would like to add that, you know, what we find with a lot of the clients we interact with when we're introducing them to these, you know, omni-channel automation tools is, you know, it takes a lot of preemptive thought and planning because, a lot, you know, the beauty of these programs is that they are automated and that they can be as set and forget as you would like. But with that comes a lot of forethought and, okay, how do we want this campaign to run for the next, you know, three months, six months, a whole year? And, and while that can seem like a lot to take in, you know, once you get a, an understanding of how these tools can work to your benefit and how they can customize your outreaches and garner better uh, responses from your your audience, you know, it, it's clear that, you know, it's definitely worth the effort and worth the thought to plan all of this out. It is very worthwhile for the results that you receive to put all that work and planning into the front end. Bart, do you have any final thoughts before we wrap it up? Yeah, I just wanted, I think that one, Sean, Dan, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. It's just been valuable to kind of walk through and, and kind of explain some of these new things that are, are really accessible to a lot of schools that maybe they didn't realize. I mean, there's a lot of ways to kind of scale up and scale down with these type of programs. And I think it's so important to kind of understand what's available. Um, one thing I wanted to just kind of point out, because I, I mentioned this to a, a client the other day that we were talking about omni-channel marketing and, and versioning and personalization. And I just wanted to kind of point out just... Um, just to make a comment, you know, we talk a lot about versioning and, and a lot of people are already familiar with digital printing. And, and I think that digital printing has been around for a while. I mean, probably 15, 20 years now, but I think what people are not understanding is that the, the technology has advanced to the point where you can actually do very large scale digital printing now that would kind of be closer to what could only be done with offset in the past. And the way I kind of kind of illustrate that, and let's let's say that you're a small to mid-sized school and you're you're sending out uh, view books and sending out these different things, you can actually now start to look at ways to leverage digital printing in a way that you could, in theory, put together a individualized versioned view book per student. You could actually set that up and be able to drop in different photos if they've indicated they're interested in lacrosse or they're interested in the STEM programs. Those could be photos that get dropped in with data variable. And I think that kind of opens up some excitement to the idea that if, if we're going to be sending out these view books based on individuals, or let's say we're sending out a, 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 a travel piece, those, the ability to version and individualize those down to the level of the, the, of the individual that's interested is very powerful. And it's something that I think that a lot of people don't understand or realize that, you know, we can even do that beyond just the standard postcards that have done, been done in the past. And so I just want to kind of open people's mind up to think through the fact that there's a lot of ways and a lot of creative ways that we can look at personalization and ver versioning that might be beyond Troy's example earlier where, hey, let's put their name in a fancy font really big and hope they get the, gets their attention. 
I, I, I'm, I'm really excited about the, the ways these types of tools can open up a lot more opportunities. Well said, Bart. And thanks to the three of you for a very enlightening conversation. If you want to find more information about this, you can simply Google it. Of course, if you go to kaler-solutions.com, that takes you to Bart's team, or you can go to thinkpatented.com and you can get more information about the tools that we utilize to help colleges and universities. The Higher Ed Marketer Podcast is sponsored by Kaler Solutions, an education marketing and branding agency, and by Think Patented, a marketing execution printing and mailing provider of Higher Ed Solutions. On behalf of my co-host, Bart Kaler, I'm Troy Singer. Thanks for joining us. You've been listening to The Higher Ed Marketer. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening with Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to leave a quick rating of the show. Simply tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Until next time.